All right, take your Bibles tonight, open to the book of Micah, the book of Micah chapter 5, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 10, and we'll read out through the the end of the chapter here. Micah chapter 5, and let's begin reading in verse number 10. He says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will plug up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. So as we're coming to kind of the end of chapter 5 here, and uh, really, chapter 4 and 5 really kind of go together as we look through the, the book of Micah. The first couple chapters, uh, Micah's kind of dealing with different topics here, and chapter 4 and 5 are kind of dealing with the future kingdom, uh, about what's going to be happening, and uh, uh, about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and how he speaks about this here in chapter 4. He says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he, of course we know who that he is, that's Jesus Christ, he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so Micah's looking forward to the future here. He's looking to this kingdom that is going to come, which of course, as we know, the Jews were looking for the kingdom. They're looking for this deliverer that is going to bring deliverance from all of the oppression and things that they were under. Um, And so they're looking for this kingdom, and Micah is speaking about this kingdom that is going to come. And then in chapter 5, we find out where this Messiah, this deliverer, is going to to be born. And in chapter 5, in verse number 2, he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so Micah chapter 4 kind of starts laying the groundwork of what's going to happen in the millennial reign. And then Micah chapter 5 tells us where the king or uh, the Messiah, the deliverer, is going to be born. Of course, this is uh, where uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the lawyers and the scribes and the chief priests, when the uh, the Magi came and looking for the king of the Jews, wanting to know where he's going to be born. Uh, Herod was a little bit worried, and they go to this patch and say, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so we find this here again, this, this king that is going to come to uh, bring deliverance, that is going to set up the kingdom, right? That's what they were thinking. Um, and so as we go through here, as we've seen, uh, this dealing with this coming kingdom of God, uh, of Jesus Christ, what we would refer to as the kingdom of heaven. God speaks of it as the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that Jesus Christ will come to the earth and he will rule and reign here on the earth for a thousand years. And so as we've been kind of looking through this in uh, verse number 10, again, God is dealing with Israel here. He's speaking of them and he talks about 
Uh, what is going to happen, as we saw last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago, last week we had VBS, all right? So we didn't go through Micah last week, okay? Um, but and in, uh, in the previous verses, from verses 5 to 9, 4, 5, all the way through 9, he talks about how he's going to uh, get victory over Israel's enemies. Uh, he's going to uh, bring deliverance for Israel. He's going to defeat the Assyrians. He's going to defeat the Babylonians. He's going to defeat their enemies, But then he comes to verse number 10, and as we kind of look at the end of this passage, we kind of see as Micah is giving this prophecy of the Messiah, or this one that is going to be born in Bethlehem, making, if we could say, preparation for his kingdom. Again, he's dealing with Israel, he's talking to Israel, and about what's going to happen This kingdom is going to come, and uh, this is, again, dealing with Israel, right? We understand this. Um, We understand that right now we're kind of in between what we call the the 69th and 70th week of Daniel, right? In Daniel chapter 9, we're kind of in this period that was a mystery to the Jews. We are looking at that in the book of Ephesians right now, the the dispensations, the mystery of, of grace and this time period that we're in right now. But eventually, there's going to be a time when Jesus Christ, God, is going to go back and dealing with the Jews. And of course, there's going to be the seven years of tribulation, and then Jesus Christ is going to come and set his feet on the earth here and set up this kingdom. But before he does that, there's some preparation that needs to take place. Before he can set up this kingdom, there's some preparation that he wants Israel to do. And when Jesus comes for Israel, notice he says in verse number 10, and it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, right? There's there's this preparation that, that God is wanting to take place. He's going to prepare his kingdom. And he does that in two ways. He's going to prepare, make this preparation for his kingdom by purging from within Israel and punishing those without Israel. And we find that here in these in these verses here. This purging from within, this purging of Israel, why is why is God needing to purge Israel? Um, well, it's because they they needed cleansing. They were filthy from from the world. Um, I don't know how many of you have boys and boys like to go out and they like to play and get dirty and sweat and uh, my boys, uh, especially the younger ones, they think it's a funny thing to be like, uh, Dad, are you, uh, are you dripping? Like you're outside and you're like sweating. Dad, are you dripping water? Yes, I'm sweating, son. Isn't that cool? No, it's not cool. <laughs> it's hot, right? Um, you know, and then, of course, they love to be like, I- I'm so hot. Can let me give you a hug. And then they take their head and they wipe it all over your shirt, you know. Um, and, and you're like, you know what? You just go take a bath right? You're dirty, you're filthy, right? As soon as they come in, moms, they're like, bath, right? There you go. Take a shower, take a bath, you're filthy, you stink, you're nasty. You know, how many of you like, that was the very first words out of mom's mouth, I think, when the kids came home from junior camp and teen camp, right? I mean, boom, take a bath, because we know you didn't take one all week at camp, that's for sure, right? So take a bath. This is what God is saying, that Israel needed a good bath, if you could say, it's interesting when you go back all the way to the book of Exodus, when God is bringing Israel out of Egypt, 
and they're coming to Mount Zion, or excuse me, Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, God gives Moses some instructions before he would meet with Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, in verse number 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto thy people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. Right? God's saying, hey, before I'm going to meet with the people, they need to be clean. Before I meet with you, you need to be clean. You're, you're, you're dirty. Uh, you've just come out of Egypt. There's, not only is there a spiritual dirtiness that was, was on them, but there was also this physical dirtiness that they'd been traveling and wandering around in the, in the desert. And God said, hey, I want to meet with you. Um, and, and so I want, you to, I want you to get clean. I want you to be clean. And think with this, as God is saying, hey, I'm about to set up my kingdom, Israel. There, there's this kingdom that is going to be set up. But before I set up this kingdom, there's some preparation that needs to be done. And you need to be clean. You need to be clean. Now, I'll please understand and thank God we're not talking about salvation here. Because that's how a lot of religion says. And if, if you want God to save you, you've got to clean yourself up. Friend, you can't clean yourself up. There's no way you can clean yourself up. There's nothing you can do to be clean before God to say, oh, now I will accept you. We can't, right? Um, and, and that's why when we sing songs like Just As I Am, right, we can come to God just as we are. And God in salvation, God takes a wicked lost sinner that is filthy, that is unrighteous with, with the wickedness and sin of the world. And when we come to him by faith, praise God, he's the one that cleans us. Amen. We're not talking about salvation here. So don't, don't try to be like, oh, well, if I, if I come to God for salvation, I have to be clean. I have to be right. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a kingdom that God, that Jesus Christ is about to establish, right? And he's doing this for the nation of Israel. He's going to be dealing with Israel. This is a promise that he had made to, to David about this, this kingdom. And so he says, you need to be clean. Why? Because they were dirty. They were dirty. And we find the people of God dirty, not physically, but spiritually. They were dirty spiritually because they were not trusting in God. They were not following God. And he points out three areas that Israel was trusting in that God says, look, before I do this, I'm going to have to do some purging. I'm going to have to do some cleaning up here, right? Before I can set up this kingdom, I'm going to have to do some cleaning. And by the way, again, it's God that's doing the cleaning. They, they couldn't do the cleaning because they were already out there, way out there. God says, I'm going to do the cleaning here, right? And watch what he says here in verse number 10, 11. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I... Notice how many times this, this phrase, I will, is said here. In, in these verses, right? Again, God is speaking, right? I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. So in just those two verses, he uses the phrase, I will do this three different times. And so in verse number 10 and 11, we find there was something that Israel was trusting in. Notice in verse number 10, 11, we find they were trusting in their military might, their military power. 
They were trusting in the fact that they had conquered armies, that they had won great battles, right? He says, I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee. I will destroy thy chariots, okay? They had trusted in their military might, and God said, look, that's not going to save you. Your military might, your military power is not going to save you. You're trusting in that instead of trusting in me. Now, again, did God use Israel's military to to win battles? Sure. No doubt he did. Did God use Israel's military against uh, numbers that were far greater than they were? Yes, God did. But again, that was the thing. God did it. It wasn't through Israel's might and Israel's power. It was through God's might and God's power. And that's why they were able to go up against armies far greater than them. And yet God would bring the victory. But what had happened? Instead of looking at God as the one bringing the victory, they began to look at themselves and say, well, we have done this. This is our battle that we have won. This is our might. Uh, We are great. And they started trusting in their military might. And God says, I'm going to cut off the horses. I'm going to destroy the chariots. He said, I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all thy strongholds. Again, they were trusting in, in the, their, their, their fortresses and their power, and God says that those things would not save them. Uh, you can read about this in Second Chronicles chapter 32, even when uh, Sennacherib and comes against Hezekiah, and uh, they think, well, hey, God's going to bring deliverance. And then, of course, later on, uh, God allows the, uh, the Assyrians to destroy. Of course, they destroy the northern kingdom, and then Babylon comes and destroys the southern kingdom. They thought their military might would be able to save them. God says, no, that's not, that's not going to save you. What, are, what is it that we are trusting in to save us? This is what God was trying to say. Look, you're, yes, you are my people, but the problem is you're trusting in something else. You're dirty. There is a spiritual filthiness that is here. It's not that they had stopped being God's people, but God's people had stopped looking to God. They weren't trusting him, and they were looking to their military might. Notice not only were they looking to their military might, but they were looking to witchcraft. you imagine God's people turning to witchcraft? That's what he says in verse number 12. And I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. They had turned to witchcraft. God says, I'm a, again, I will cut off witchcrafts out of thy hand, and thou shalt have no more suicide. God said, I'm going to do this. They, they didn't have enough sense, uh, even knowing what God had said about these things, they didn't have enough sense to get rid of them. Instead, they turned to them. They had turned to witchcraft. They had turned to fortune tellers instead of God. And God says those things wouldn't save. If you go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah basically tells us a very similar uh, a very similar account in Isaiah chapter number two. Notice in verse number six, he says, therefore thou hast forsaken uh, thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth down, and the great man humbleth himself. Therefore forgive them not. 
God said again, they had turned to, to witchcraft. They had turned to this military might and this witchcraft. Witchcraft has to do with the spells and incantations. It had to do with rituals for the, for the purpose of trying to manipulate both natural and spiritual powers to influence circumstances and people. You think of, uh, you know, all, every culture has them. Every culture has some type of witchcraft and things like this. But, uh, you know, you think of these, those that would go to the witch doctors and things trying to, to perform rituals to get things to turn into their favor, right? Um, even, even in Uganda, as, as we were there, uh, many times, of course, being a third world country, um, you see a lot of uh, little kids just kind of running around naked. Um, but the one thing that you'll find on every one of those children is a little black band around their waist. Nothing else but a little black band. What is that black band? It's witchcraft. You say, the child is, a, is, is you know, following witchcraft? No, no, no. It's, it's the parents. They've been told by the witch doctors that if you want your child to ward off evil spirits and do these things, you need to, wear this little, you need to have them wear this band around them. What are they trying to do? They're trying to perform rituals to hope that either through the natural circumstances or supernatural circumstances, it will help them. It will change their outlook. It will change things for their, for their good, right? Uh, if somebody is, uh, is going to go for a job or something, they'll go to the witch doctor and they'll say, hey, you know, I, I really need some, uh, some good mojo, right? I need some good vibes. I need something good to happen with this. And the witch doctor will say, well, you know, sacrifice this or do this or whatever. And they'll do that. Why? They're doing these rituals, this witchcraft, hoping to influence the spiritual or the natural surroundings for their benefit. Okay? This is Israel. This was what Israel was doing. This wasn't just, if we could say, it wasn't the, the heathen of the world. This was God's people turning to witchcraft, turning to idolatry, turning to, to witchcraft and things to try to somehow better themselves. Did they not remember what, who delivered them from Egypt? Did they not remember who parted the Red Sea and who fed them for 40 years in the wilderness? And now they're going to turn to witchcraft? This is what they had done. The soothsayers had to do with the occult, fortune-telling, conjuring up spirits. Again, think how sad that God's people had turned to the occult. Instead of God, instead of looking to God, they had turned to the occult. Again, think, look at what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah chapter 27. Notice what he says in verse number nine. Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you. They, they were going to all these false prophets. They were going to these false teachers. They were going to the sorcerers and the, the, the witches and all these things. And, and he says, look, they're telling you one thing. They're saying, hey, you're not going to go into captivity. You're okay. Everything's going to be all right. And God says, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. Why? Because God said, I've, I've already told you you're going to be judged. I've already told you that Babylon is going to defeat you. It's going to happen. 
And that's why God told them, look, it's going to happen. So you have one of two choices. Either you can surrender and live or you can fight and die. Oh, these, no, 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 it's not going to happen. You know, we've, we've done these rituals and we've done all these things and, and the gods are telling us everything's going to be okay. And God says, well, you, you decide who you're going to listen to. You decide. But God says, before I set up my kingdom, I'm going to do some purging because there ain't going to be any of this in my kingdom. There's not going to be any of this turning to these false gods. There's not going to be this, this turning to this witchcraft and soothsayers. You're not going to be trusting in this mighty army. Uh, and again, we think about it in the book of Revelation when it talks about Jesus coming and Jesus coming with that, with that, the truth or the sword. Uh, uh, and man, he's just, he's going to defeat his enemies. What, what does he need an army for? He doesn't need an army. He's capable. He's going to do it himself. He says, why are you trusting in an army? Why don't you trust in me? All the armies, the Egyptian army, what happened to them? He said, I, the sea took care of them. I made sure of that. What happened to these other armies, the Philistines and all these others that happened? All these times that uh, Goliath and the Philistines and the, uh, the Anakims and all these things came out. What happened? I defeated them for you. And now you're going to turn to their gods? You're going to turn to their things, the, the witchcraft and the, the spirits and things? And these were things that God had expressly forbidden and yet they were practicing them. When you go back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, in Leviticus, chapter 19, God had expressly forbidden Israel to have anything to do with witchcraft and sorcery. In Leviticus, chapter 19, in verse number 26, he says, Ye shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall ye use enchantment, nor observe times, the, the enchantments, the observing of times. He says, you're not to have anything to do with it. Uh, go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 19. Uh, notice what he says here. Nope, that's the wrong verse too. What is it? 18, 10, 11. Thank you. I got, I have in my notes, I have Deuteronomy 18, 91 through 4. <laughs> Figure that one out, right? 91 through 4. Okay. Uh, I don't think there is a 91. Anyway, so Deuteronomy 18, 10. Uh, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer for all that do these things. What does this next word say? Are an abomination unto the Lord. He says, these are an abomination to God. And yet what is happening? Israel turned to these very things. They turned to this. And so God says, I'm going to cut off the witchcraft. I'm going to cut off the soothsayers. He said, I'm going to cut off the graven images, the standing images. If you go back to, uh, to Micah uh, chapter 5, he says, uh, these, these graven images and uh, the, uh, the standing images, all these different things. Uh, again, this was, this was idolatry. He's going he's gonna to pluck up the groves uh, in verse number, uh, 
in verse number 13, the gra- thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands, and I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. Again, notice all the times that God is saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Okay? And watch what he says here. The graven images also will I cut off. So here's this third one. They were trusting in military, their military might. They had turned to witchcraft and they were turning to idolatry. Hello. <laughs> All right. They turned to idolatry. That just happened at the right time. As soon as I paused, it was like, ta-da, right? They turned to idolatry. Again, they're, they're turning to these false gods. Thy graven images also will I cut off. The standing images out of the midst of thee. Thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. Again, they had followed the way of the idolater. They'd made gods with their hands. God says, look, those things aren't going to save you. These standing images that he speaks about here. um, Well, the the graven images and the standing images he speaks of here. They they have to do with, uh, again, idolatrous worship. Um, They were these pillars um, that they they had built in these, these areas where they would have, uh, just trying to be careful what I say here, um, in these areas where they would worship their false gods and things. And these pillars they had built had to do with the Canaanite goddess um, Asherah. And Asherah was the goddess of fertility. And so they would offer sacrifices to get their God's favor and blessings. Okay? And so you have these, these standing images as they would build these things, and then they would offer sacrifices on them. Uh, again, these were the things that God had told Israel to destroy. God said, you are to destroy all of these things. Again, hold your place here, and Mike, go back to Deuteronomy, because it's important that we understand why God is having to do this cleansing, this purging, because they're going absolutely against what God had said. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, and verse number 3, and ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. So notice he specifically speaks of almost four different things here. He says their altars, their pillars, their groves, and the graven images. Think about that. There's, there's, there's more than... We think of idolatry. We think of, well, somebody sets up a little image and that's what they worship. Well, that's true. That's, that's the graven images that he's talking about, right? But there's much more. He says the, the graven images, but he also says their altars, which is where they would offer the sacrifices and things. He says the pillars, break their pillars. And again, this is what, what we find here, these standing images, right? The graven images and the standing images. These were these pillars that they had built to, these, to this goddess, Asherah. And uh, Asherah was the... Uh, the mother of the gods, if you could say, and then Baal, of course, we're very familiar with Baal, right? Baal was the father of the gods. And so you had Baal, remember the Elijah and uh, the prophets of Baal and how they were, had that battle between Elijah and uh, the prophets of Baal, who would be able to call fire down from heaven, right? Baal was like the father of all their gods, but Asherah was the, the mother of the gods, if you could say. Again, we're talking, this is heathen stuff. We're not, these are not real gods, yeah? But this is what they believed in. And so they would build these, uh, these images. They would build these, uh, these pillars that had to do with this 
cult worship where they would offer these sacrifices. And God had said, when you come into the land, destroy these things, break them down, burn them, get rid of them. These are, the, these are abomination to God. But again, instead of doing what God had said, now they're using them. They're, they're building them themselves. He says the, the groves in verse number 13, or excuse me, verse number 14, I'll pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. Many times we, when you're reading through about the kings, if you're reading through First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, you, ring, you read how sometimes there was a good king who was following the Lord, but it says uh, something about yet the groves he did not destroy, right? Uh, he followed the Lord, but yet the groves they, they didn't tear down or whatever. What are these groves, right? Well, again, Asherah is the, the wife of Baal, what, we would, what they would say the mother of the gods in Canaanite mythology, right? And guess what her symbol was? A tree. Her symbol was a tree. And so they would build worship centers among the trees. They would, they would take these areas where trees and things were, and not, not where every tree was, but specifically what they would call these groves. They would have a specific place of groves where trees would grow. But among that, they would build these places of worship, these places of sacrifice, these places that they would come and, and worship Asherah, um, and they would offer sacrifices and things here. Again, as we just read in Deuteronomy, God told him to destroy these things. And so what does God say? Hey, you've got these things in your midst. You've got witchcraft. You've got soothsayers. You've got graven images. Uh, you've got all these different things. So God says, I will pluck them up. I'm going to destroy these things because I can't... <laughs> I can't have my kingdom with all this ungodliness. I can't. Do you understand? God, God does not share his glory. God doesn't share his glory. God's not like, well, you know, everybody just wants to make their own God. So, you know, what's the harm? I'll just, I'll just let them create their own gods and we'll just let them go with that. And, and that's okay. No, no. God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. Why? Because there is only one God. There's only one. And so God is saying, look, all of these things, hey, if Israel, if this kingdom is going to be focused upon the nation of Israel, then he says, we've got to do some cleaning here. We've got to get some purging. You need to take a bath because you stink. You're dirty. You're filthy. You've got all of this trust and military might. You're, you're involved in witchcraft and, and soothsaying. You're involved in, uh, in these, these pagan gods and, and idolatrous worship and all these different things. And God says, before I can set up my kingdom, this has to go. And here's the thing. Israel says, we don't want it to go. So God says, I'll make it go. Isn't that interesting? So many times we know what God says we're supposed to do, and we just don't want to do it. We know there are things in our life that God says, you need to let this go. And we say, no, I don't want to let it go. And God says, look, before I, can, before I can really use you, before I can do something with you, you've got to let this go. I'm not going to share my glory with something else. I, I'm not going to, 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 to be able to... Be your God if you're following another God. You've got to let it go. And we say, no, I'm not going to let it go. So what does God say? God says, if you won't let it go, then I'm going to make it go. And we have two choices. 
We can choose to either surrender and live, or we can fight and be destroyed. We can surrender to God and live. We can surrender to him and allow him to use us. Or we can keep fighting and keep trying to hold on and keep trying to hold on and keep trying to hold on. And God says, all right, fine. You're dead. Now, maybe not physically, but he says, I'm just, you're going to be dead to me. I'm not going to use you. I cannot, I cannot use you until Israel, I cannot set up this kingdom until there is some cleaning that takes place. So there had to be some purging from within. But there also had to be some punishment from without. Notice what he says in verse number 15. And I, again, here is God speaking, I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen such as they have not heard. Now, I do find it very interesting that God uses verse number 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Five verses, God speaks about Israel. One verse, he speaks about the heathen. Five different verses, God says, this is what you need to do. You need to get cleaned up. You need to get right. You need to, you need to take a bath. You need to get spiritually clean. I'll take, care of the, I'll take care of the enemy. I'll take care of the heathen. God says, I only need one verse to do that. But Israel, you're my people. And here's the problem. You're dirty. And here's where you're dirty. And God says, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to clean you up. But notice what he says about the nations without. He, was, he is going to execute vengeance upon them. What is vengeance? He says, and I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. What is vengeance? When we think of vengeance, I think we have the idea of getting revenge, right? Vengeance. I'm going to get revenge. It's interesting, Webster's 1828 Dictionary describes vengeance in this way. The infliction of pain on another in return for an injury or offense. Such infliction, when it proceeds from malice or more resentment and is not necessary for the purpose of justice, is revenge and a most heinous crime. When such infliction proceeds from a mere love of justice and the necessity of punishing offenders for the support of the laws, it is vengeance and is warrantable and just. You see, there is a difference between vengeance and revenge. There's a big difference. If you look at the word vengeance, it is the rendering of a just punishment upon a wrongdoer or the recompense given to the victim of a wrongdoing. Vengeance is not revenge. We have this idea when God says vengeance that God is getting revenge. No, God's not getting revenge. God's not getting revenge. What God is doing is rendering a just punishment. Because let's face it, who is truly able to mete out a just punishment? Now, we go to the court of law, and we have judges, and we have lawyers, and we have all, we have all these different things. And of course, when we go before them, there is a judge that sits there, and a judge will either give a, uh, a verdict, or we have 
uh, the peers, the, the jury, maybe six or eight or 12 or whatever it might be, and they will give a verdict. But as we plead our case before them, whether it would be the jury or whether it be the judge, whoever's going to make this, this judgment, this verdict, every single one of them, doesn't matter if it's the judge or the jury, everyone has a bias. Because everyone has been wronged before. That judge, as he sits there and he hears the case, and he hears whatever's going on, many times we could say, well, he's doing it according to law. Well, that may be true. There might be a punishment according to law, but there are going to be times when he might be a little bit more lenient than maybe what he should have been. Or maybe he is more harsh than what he should have been. Why? because of something that he has seen in the past or something that has happened to him. Or you think of a jury and you think of the things that are happening to them and how they're having to, uh, to give this verdict uh, on this person's behalf. There is no one, no judge, no jury in, in the world that can truly give a just verdict. No one because we're all sinners. Everyone is a sinner. And that is why the only one who is truly able to mete out a just punishment, who is not guilty of something uh, at some time, and the only one is able to do that is God. God is the only one who is able to meet that just punishment. God is not trying to get revenge. He is executing vengeance. He is, he is looking at his holiness. He is looking at his righteousness. He is seeing how these people have totally rejected and turned away from God and, and what they are doing and all that they are involved in, whether it's witchcraft or sorcery, uh, whether it's uh, child sacrifice, whether it's turning to Asherah or Baal or, or Chemosh or whatever. The, and he's saying, hey, because of what you have done, it is because of what you have done, this vengeance that God is going to pour out. It is because he is a just God, he is a holy God, he is a righteous God, that he is the one that is able to justly give vengeance. Not revenge, but vengeance. And he says, I will execute vengeance in anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. I think when you go to the book of Revelation, you find and you see what God is going to do. You find throughout the book of Revelation, God's vengeance, his judgment upon the world. And even through his judgment, what do we find? They still refuse to acknowledge him. They will still refuse to admit that he is just and he is right. And they still, even through all of the judgment that God brings, they still turn away from him. God says they've, they're going to receive this judgment like they've never seen before. We know that that's going to happen. And so God says before he can set up his kingdom, there has to be some preparation. There has to be some preparation that's made. Israel, you're going to have to take a bath. Israel, you're going to have to get clean. And I'm going to have to take this 
and I'm going to cut these things off. I'm going to clean you up so that when the kingdom is there, you're ready for it. The nations, I'm going to judge. I'm going to judge them so that when the kingdom comes, they're ready for it. But can I tell you this? Just as Israel needed to be prepared for the coming kingdom, what makes you and I think that we don't need to be ready? Because sometimes we do the very same thing that Israel did. We are God's chosen people. In fact, in the fact that we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, we are God's children. We've been placed into the family of God. And God says, I want you to be a light. I want you to be a witness to a lost and dying world. And there are things that I do not want you to do. And there are things that I want you to do so that others can know about me. And instead of being obedient and listening to God, what do we do? Oh, we may not be necessarily involved in witchcraft or sorcery or making images and bowing down to them, but we really just say, "We God, I have no need for you. I have no time for you. I don't, I don't need you. I don't, I, I've got my salvation. I know my home is in heaven, but yet I just don't need you. Well, look in the book of 2 Corinthians with me. In the book of 2 Corinthians... In chapter 7, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if we read what he says back up in verse number 18 of chapter 6, he says, and, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, when you put your faith in me, you become my children. You're my sons, you're my daughters. Now notice, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, Because we are his sons, because we are his daughters, he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What is he saying? Hey, you are his children. He says, hey, just as Israel, God says, hey, Israel, before I can use you, before I can set up this kingdom, you got to get clean. We got some cleaning to do. God says, hey, Christian, guess what? Do we believe Jesus is coming? Do we believe he's coming back? We believe, we say we do. We say, yes, we believe Jesus is coming back. We, we say we believe that he's going to come and he's going to rapture the church out. Then why aren't we clean? If we really want God to be able to use us, he says, I need you to be clean. Look, thank God we don't have to come to him clean in order to be saved. No, when we come to him, he's the one that cleans us up. But what happens as we're, after we're saved, we just tend to come, kind of go back to the things of the world, back to the flesh. And he says, listen, cleanse yourselves uh, from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says, man, we need to, we need to make sure that we remain clean for him. Why? Because he wants to use us. He wants to use us for his honor and for his glory. Look in 1 John chapter 3 real quick. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Again, there it is. Hey, what a privilege to be called God's child. What a privilege to know Jesus as our Savior. He says, therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not 
yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He says, hey, we know he's coming back. We know we're his children. We know he's coming back for us. So what does he tell us to do? And every man that hath this hope in him, what are those next two words? Purifieth himself. Purifieth himself. Even as he is pure. You know what God says? Just as he says to Israel, hey, there's something special I have planned for you. But before that can all come about, we've got to get rid of this dirt. We've got to get rid of this filth. I need you to let me clean you. I need you to let me take all this junk and get it out of your life so you can be ready for what I have for you. And as Christians, God says, hey, I want to use you. There's something special that I have for you. There's a purpose. There's a plan that I have for your life. And yes, thank God, we don't have to come clean to be able to be saved. No, he cleans us up. But he says, hey, in order to be used, I do need you to be clean. I do need you to purify yourself. I do need you to let me take some of those things that are dirt Take some of those things that are not necessary in your life. Take some of those things that are causing you to turn to other things instead of following me. I need you to let me get those out of your life. Let me take those out. You can either surrender and live and be used by God, or you can fight and die. How sad for a Christian to be a child of God, to have these promises that our home is in heaven, we have eternal life, He'll never leave us or forsake us, and say, God, stay away from me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me, God. I'm, I'm happy the way I am. I want to stay dirty. I'm enjoying this dirt. I'm enjoying this filth. God says, I want you to be clean. I want to use you, but I need, to, I need you to be clean. I need you to let me take some of those things out of your life that aren't really important. And we turn to God and say, no. That's what Israel did. And what happened? They were judged. They were judged. Wouldn't it be so much better to say, God, you know what? <laughs> Just to be a child of God, I don't deserve it. To be a child of God, to be saved, to have a home in heaven, to have all these blessings, God, I don't deserve any of those things. Lord, if you tell me there's something in my life that's making me dirty, it's gone. Lord, if you show me something in my life that you don't think is beneficial to me, if it's not going to help me to grow spiritually, gone. You tell me what it is, Lord. Take it, whatever you want. It's out. No questions asked. You know, I'm not going to put up a fuss. I'm not going to put up a fight about it. If you're telling me that it's not good for me, take it away. Wouldn't that be so much better than to fight and say, no, I want that. No, I need that. No, friend, you don't need it. If you did need it, God would let you have it. But you don't. And that's why he's trying to take it from you. Because he knows what's best for you. Are we willing to surrender that to him? He's trying to prepare us. He's trying to prepare us because he's got something for us to do. 
But how sad it would be for Jesus Christ to return and we've just fought and fought and fought and fought and we never got prepared. We never were used by him. What a sad day that would be to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I got nothing. I got nothing. But it doesn't have to be that way. I wonder if their heads bowed and their eyes closed. No one looking about tonight. Friend, we need to be ready for his coming. We need to be prepared. If you're saved, obviously the most important thing is to know Jesus as your Savior. A Christian, are we letting him purify us? Are we letting him examine our life and say, hey, that's not really important. That doesn't really need to be there. Let me take it out. And when he desires to take it out, are we willing to let him take it or are we fighting and keeping it? Not because we need it, but because we want it. I wonder what it might be that God is speaking to your heart saying, hey, would you just let this go? Let me take this from you. It's not needful. It's not helping you. It's actually hindering you. Let me just take it. Let me just take it away so that you can be prepared for what I have for you. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts tonight. Lord, whatever it might be, may we be willing just to say, Lord, here it is, whatever you want. Lord, you want it, it's yours. I'm not going to fight you. Lord, I, I want what is best for my life, and I know you know what is best. So Lord, I'm just going to surrender to you. Help me to look to you and trust you. Father, would you work in our hearts tonight? With their heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano is just going to play softly. You can just remain sitting tonight.